are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day again to the mothers. We're doing a series that we have started last week and will go all this month that we've called The Next Step. I thought it was a pretty logical thing for God to lead us to do because quite often at the end of our services during invitation time, we will put up a phrase that looks like this. What is your next step toward God? What's your next step toward God today? It's just a question saying, what do you need to do? I mean, as a result of the worship, as a result of the message, what is it that, that God's wanting you to do? What's He calling you to do? What's the next thing you need to take care of in your life? That's what we're going to focus on today from the standpoint of the family. We've got a theme verse that we're using this month that's found in Galatians. And the theme verse is this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Another way to translate that would be since the Holy Spirit has made us alive. Since the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sin, showed us that our only hope was Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit gave us the capacity, the ability to believe in Jesus and then birthed us into the family of God. And He keeps us sealed, the Bible says, until we actually get there to the day of redemption. Because the Holy Spirit has made us alive, then we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. That phrase, keep in step, is a military term. And it was used to describe an army marching in its ranks, taking one step after the next step. You have a sergeant, let's say, out in front of that platoon. And the sergeant is calling out marching orders and giving the cadence And that platoon is marching along with the orders that they're receiving. That's a picture of how those of us that have received Christ as our Savior ought to allow the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. Because if you know Jesus, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And what we need to do is let the Holy Spirit be our drill sergeant, so to speak. Let the Holy Spirit be our leader. Let the Holy Spirit call out to us marching orders. And we take our steps as the Holy Spirit leads us to do so. Last week we talked about this on a personal level. What's the next step in your life? Today... We're going to talk about it and expand it out to our family. What's the next step in your family's life? What would the Holy Spirit have you to do in your home? What's the next thing on God's agenda for your family? What kind of steps should you be taking in your family so they will be God's type of steps for you? So we need to be concerned about that beyond just our own lives We need to be concerned about it for our families. We need to be concerned that we're teaching our children to take the next step. That we are trying to lead our families to take the next step. To where we're being obedient to the Holy Spirit of God and allowing that next step to be placed before us by God instead of just our own whims. Most of this series is going to come out of Galatians 5, Galatians 6. Today we're going to be in Ephesians a lot and you'll see why in just a moment. 
The background of Galatians is this. Paul was writing, inspired of God, that salvation is by grace. There were people confused in that and misleading some of these new believers in Galatia. They were saying, yeah, you trust in Jesus, but then in order to be really right with God, you have to be circumcised, you have to do this, you have to do that. Instead of it really being all of grace. So Paul is writing to them, being sure they understand that salvation is by, by grace, by God's grace, by faith in Jesus alone. He's helping them to understand what their next steps really should be. Because picture this, these new believers have received Christ as their Savior, and now they're kind of wondering, all right, what's next? And they had people telling them, next is circumcision. Next is this. Next is that. So Paul's writing them to let them know how to distinguish what their steps ought to be. And he says, we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. We need to allow the Holy Spirit of God to direct our lives. We looked at this verse uh, last week, and I want to bring it up for a special reason today. And uh, then we'll jump into the main part of the message in just a moment. But Ephesians tells us this, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For it's by grace you've been saved. By God's unmerited favor, you don't deserve it. It's by God's grace, by His amazing grace you've been saved. Through faith, not works, through faith. And by the way, the faith is not anything you generate yourself. It says, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. God as a gift gives you the capacity and the ability to believe in Jesus by faith. And they were told not by works so that no one can boast. It's impossible for anyone to work their way to heaven. The reason I bring that up before we actually kind of jump into the message is this. On this Mother's Day... I want to challenge you, if you have anyone in your family, anyone in your home that does not know Christ as your Savior, can I tell you what your first step is? Can I tell you what your next step is? Mom, if you have a child that does not know Jesus, your next step is to the best of your ability, as God empowers you and enables you to do so, to lead that child to Jesus. Dad, your next step is, if you have lost family members, is to lead that person to Jesus. If you have a lost spouse, children, if you have lost parents, the next step ought to be you leading that person to Jesus with as much urgency as you can. Because you never know when this scenario might happen. Friday, a little bit before lunch, I received a call from Jerry Cook. Jerry should have been playing drums today. Zach Cowling was inserted in this morning. Jerry's son, Dean, Dean's wife, died Friday morning. Dean, I think, was probably about 25 or 26. I don't know how old his wife is. I think she was a little bit younger. And I have been wrecking my brain from Friday until now because I did some things trying to minister to them over the years wondering if there was one more thing I might could have done I might could have said that could have changed this scenario but 
You don't know how long the person that you love has lived. And I am telling you, you need to have a sense of urgency to share Jesus with that lost loved one. Because you could get a call in a moment's notice that they're gone. And I always go through this because I'm a minister and I think it's probably ordained of God that I go through this. But when things like this happen, I tend to ask myself, is there something else I could have said or done? Because they have some issues and, and, and things they're messing with they shouldn't have been messing with. And I talk to them about it often. The family had talked to them about it often. But I'm just wondering if there's something else I could have said. And now I don't have that opportunity. But I'm telling you up front on this Mother's Day, if you have a lost loved one, you have an opportunity to go and talk to them about Jesus. I could just about give an invitation now and let's go home. That would be enough said today. As we work toward the end of this service, we're going to revisit the fruits of the Spirit. And instead of looking at the fruits of the Spirit toward you as an individual, we're going to look at it, look at it as, as your family. And we're going to give you the same type of opportunities we did last week. If you weren't here last week, let me tell you what we did. We talked about your next step as an individual. And then we asked people to write on a note that you should have received in a copy of the updates that you brought in today that says, A Note to God. And we asked people last week to write on that note, first of all, to identify things of the old nature, the simple nature, that don't need to be there. And then secondly, to write down some fruit of the Spirit that they needed bigger in their lives. And then during the invitation time, to go to these crosses we have hanging on our back walls and to pin the note there and to pray over it and ask God to help you get the bad stuff out and the good stuff in. And as you can see, several people did that. And several people did it this morning. At the end of the message today, we're going to ask you to do two things. I want you to be evaluating all through this service, especially when we get to the part about the fruits of the Spirit in regards to your family. I want you to be evaluating what fruits of the Spirit need to be more active in your family and write it down. And then I also want you to honestly ask yourself, who is that lost loved one or family member and put their initials down? In the invitation time, take it to these crosses and pin them there and pray over these notes. That's the end of the service. As we work our way there up front, I'm just going to deal with some issues about the family. We're going to ask ourselves two main questions. One will be about the fruits of the Spirit, but the first main question we're going to ask today is, is this question. Next slide, please. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with my family? I mean, think about that question. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with my family? Because some of you might be thinking, Holy Spirit, my family, man, those two don't connect at all. You may be thinking about some issues in, in the home or in the family, and you're just wondering, how in the world do these two concepts even join together? Where do they meet at all? The Holy Spirit of God in my family? Well, see, the reason they should meet is the, our, our theme verse that we read. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. God wants that not just for you and I as individuals. He wants that for our families.
So we need to consider how our families ought to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to be involved in your family in a huge way. And maybe you've never thought about it in those terms, but I hope you will after we finish this part of the message. We're going to be going over to Ephesians 5. And if you want to find your place there, follow along. It'll be on the screen also. But Ephesians 5 has a large passage of Scripture there about the family. It talks about wives. It talks about the husbands. It talks about the children as you get on down into Ephesians 6. But before Paul launched into that, just a few verses before that, he says this in the second part of Ephesians 5.18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Then he's going to go on to talk about the family, wives, husbands, children. The word for feel that's translated here from the regional Greek means to cram a net full. I mean, it's a picture of a fisherman trying to cram one last fish into the net as he pulls it ashore. It means to level up a hollow place. I mean, it's like there's a hollow place out in the road, and, and you know, you're trying to you know, fill in that, that hollow place out in the road. Our state used to do that till we went bankrupt. Now you have to avoid the potholes, you know? You have to be a better driver. To furnish or satisfy. To finish. Being filled with the Spirit then is more or less God saying you need to cram your life as full as you can with the Holy Spirit of God. You need to level up the deficits. You need to level up the holes, the hollow places in your life You need to allow the Spirit to fill those up. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to furnish or satisfy needs that you have in your life or in your family's life. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to help finish out your life. Help complete it. Help finish it in ways that God wants it to be finished. Now as I mentioned to you last week, Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is not some strange mystical thing to where, you know, we're setting burning incense with our legs crossed, humming, and all of a sudden God starts speaking from heaven. Being, Being led by the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit really involves this. The Holy Spirit of God wrote this Bible. And the Holy Spirit wants to use His Word to cram our net full. He wants to use His Word to level up the hollow places, to to furnish or satisfy what's needed in our lives. Now to help you understand why I'm saying that, look at this next slide. In Ephesians, what I read a moment ago, Paul writes in Ephesians, before he starts talking about the family, he writes this, instead be filled with the Spirit. Over in Colossians, He's going to write about the family also. Matter of fact, it's almost the cliff notes of what he writes in Ephesians. It's like an abbreviated version that he writes in Colossians. And there in Colossians, instead of saying, be filled with the Spirit, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, there's no competition there. There's no disagreement there because that's how God wants to fill our lives. We need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. You and I need to be as rich as we can in the Word of God, knowing the Word of God and applying the Word of God to our lives. And as that happens, 
the Holy Spirit is going to use this Word to fill us with the Spirit, to cram our net full, to fill up the deficits in our life, to furnish what's needed, to help finish out our lives. So bear in mind, it's not some weird intangible thing that you don't have a pathway for it to happen in your lives. If you want the Holy Spirit to be taking more control of your life, here's a good way for it to happen. Take your Bible, read it, do what the Bible says. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit is going to be controlling your life more. Look what it says in Colossians, and then we'll jump over to Ephesians in a minute. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Like I said, it's the cliff notes of what we're about to look at in Ephesians chapter 5 because Ephesians chapter 5 gives a whole lot more information and it will be painfully true for some of us as we read everything that's in Ephesians chapter 5. But the point of it is, before we jump into Ephesians 5, is for you to understand this. Being filled with the Spirit in a practical way happens as you read the Word of God and you apply the Word of God to your lives. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you got all the Holy Spirit. He came to live in you. Not part of Him, all of Him. But for you to experience His fullness, you have to be reading this Bible and applying it to your lives so the stuff feels real to you. So you can feel the Holy Spirit of God controlling and guiding your life. So basically you could say to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God means to be controlled by the Word of God. Now let's look at Ephesians 5 and some of this in detail. And all I'm going to do is draw out some family type themes here in just a moment. But I want to read the whole passage and then draw out some family stuff or some Mother's Day. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the reason I start reading there is that some people don't start reading there. Some people start reading in verse 22 as though verse 21 didn't exist. Especially men are bad for that. Because, you see, when you get to verse 22, and it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's where we like to start. But you can't leave out and ignore verse 21. Because verse 21 talks about submitting to one another out of a reverence for, another way to say that, is out of a fear for Christ. Let's read on. Submit your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the Word. And to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Then it jumps into chapter 6 and talks about children and the father. And it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. And here's a promise that it might go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then the fathers are told, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up and the training and the instruction of the Lord. All I want to do is for us to jump into that. I'm going to pull out some family-type themes on this Mother's Day. And as I do so, I hope you'll recognize this. All the stuff I just read about, we can't do without the Holy Spirit helping us do it. Here's our first family-type theme. Wives submitting to their husbands as to the Lord. Like I said, it starts in verse 21. Submit to each other out of the reverence for Christ. Then it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The word for submit is a military term. I've already gave you one military term. Here's another one that's used in the Greek. And it, and it speaks of someone being underneath the authority of someone else. In other words, a private is underneath the authority of a corporal, corporal, a sergeant, da-da-da-da-da, all the way up to a general. Don't let this devalue you, ladies. Because a private, even though he's underneath the authority of a general, is just as important in God's eyes as the general because Jesus died for both of them. So this is not a devaluing statement. And, and, and you'll just have to argue with God. I'm sorry, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And you'll just have to kind of argue with God about it later. But for some reason, God, in, in His choice making, decided as He's putting the family together, that He was putting the husband in like the head of the household, head of the family. And then here's why I think that's true. I talked about an army a moment ago, a private, general, all the way up through. People being underneath each other. If you had an army and everyone in the army were to be generals, where's the say-so going to eventually take place? Because you see, you're going to have if everyone's a general, everyone's arguing about what they want. And if everyone's at the same level, there's no chance for anyone to ever say, here's what we're going to do. You have to have in the army a general, someone that's over other people, a sergeant, whatever, giving orders to people underneath them in order for the army to actually function and be able to go win a battle. Now think about that in terms of the family. If God did not design the family in a way to where someone kindly has a final say, then here's what you have, and this is what a lot of families have, by the way. You've got two entities a husband and a wife arguing all the time about what ought to happen. And no one has the final say. And ladies, I'm just telling you, don't get mad at me. This is for some reason the way God set it up. Ask Him about it one day. I'm just telling you, sometimes in some situations, you know, I, we try to come to consensus and things, and I've always taken that approach with you know, with Becky, for the most part, we try to come to consensus with things. But th there comes a time that, that someone, maybe if you can't come to consensus, still has to make a decision. And the husband has to say, I think this is what we're going to do. And even though you're thinking you're an idiot, you have to let him go with it. And let him learn he probably was an idiot. 
And when he figures that out, then he made the wrong choice. Don't say, I told you so. Becky's been gracious a lot like that in our life. I'm sure there's been a few times I bought some cars, traded cars. Not done that much lately. Maybe I've aged out of that somewhat. I don't know. But I used to do that more often than I should. And I think Becky, a lot of times, just finally go along with it because she's tired of me driving through the car a lot and things like that. And on the other side of it, a lot of times I figured out, we bought one that all it did was leave me on the side of the road, leave me on the side of the road, leave me on the side of the road. I figured out she was right, I was wrong, but she never said, I told you so. It even goes on, and, and it says, and, I, and I, ladies, I understand this is tough. It, it says, for the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior, and now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives you submit to their husbands and everything. And you might be thinking to yourself, how in the world can I do that? How does that work out? Well, let me give you three helpful hints. The first one is found in, in the first verse up there a moment ago. where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, here's the deal. If you're a Christian wife, and you understand God says, submit to your husband as unto the Lord, and verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence or out of fear for Christ, you just do it. And I know this sounds oversimplified, but guys, I'm, I'm telling you, we wrestle with a lot of things we shouldn't wrestle with. If the Bible says to do something, well, just do it. And instead of trying to rationalize it or come up with excuses, why not to do it? If we know God clearly says in black and white to do something, y'all just do it. See, the issue is, do you fear God enough to do it? Do you fear God enough to submit to your husband? So that's one little hint. Here's the second hint. Second hint is this. It says, submit your husbands as unto the Lord. Now, see, here's a trick in that. Because I guarantee you, your husband's not always the loving individual that you want to submit to. And it's Mother's Day, so we'll let you ladies say, Amen. Sometimes, we're kind of ornery. Sometimes, we're kind of hard to get along with. And the last thing you want to do is submit. So here's the trick that you need to pull on yourself. You put our stinking personalities aside and you say, I'm ultimately submitting to God, to Jesus, to the Lord. You look beyond who that person is and the way they've treated you and the way they may be acting in that moment because in your flesh you're saying, man, the way that he's been acting, I am not going to submit to him. Here's the thing you have to do. Put his personality aside and say, I'm ultimately submitting to Jesus. Third hint in that regard is this. If you'll have your net crammed full, your life crammed full of the Holy Spirit of God because you're reading this Word and applying it to your life, by having your net crammed full of the Holy Spirit of God, He can help you submit, even when you don't want to. Now, you want me to move on and talk to the husbands. I understand. The next family issue I wonder how deals with the husbands. Husbands loving their wives like Christ loved the church. Ladies, let me stop for a minute. I understand all those verses we just looked at are tough, maybe for some of you. But can I tell you something? 
In one little phrase that I'm getting ready to read, God drops a much greater responsibility and tougher load on the men, on the husbands, than He ever dropped on the shoulders of the wife. Look at what's said. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. The word gave means He surrendered up Himself. What did He surrender Himself up on? A cross. Jesus sacrificially Loved the church. Jesus went to a cross, offered Himself up, was nailed there. He suffered and bled on a cross. And all that stuff about submission might seem like it was tough, but God tells the husbands to love our wives like Christ loved the church. What a responsibility. And see, here's really the deal on how that works. Most of you ladies, if you knew your husband loved you that much, you wouldn't have any trouble submitting. Now, what does that look like for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church? It's a sacrificial type of love. Now, let me deal with a couple of things. Because us men are bad to kind of go to the full extreme and say, well, yeah, Jesus died for the church. I'll die for my wife. Let somebody break in our house or we're out walking in the street in the city and someone comes up to rob us and they're going to try and hurt my wife or whatever my family. I'll take a bullet for my wife. I'll die for my wife. You see, that's an easy thing for us to say. Probably most of you guys will do that, but probably most of you guys will never have to do that. We just kind of run the macho thing and say, oh, I die for my wife. But here's the deal. Sacrificial love goes deeper than dying for your wife. It might mean that you have to give up something you want to do to go do something with her. It might mean you have to love her in a way that lets her know that she's first in your mind and you're not. To sacrificially love like Jesus loved. And some of you men are saying, why should I do that? Why should I do that? Well, back up at verse 21, it said we're submitted to each other in reverence or in fear to Christ. Why should we do it? If you're a Christian, God tells you you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church. So you ought to just do it. Instead of questioning it, you ought to just do it. God says love your wife. Don't say why. Just do it. Some of you are thinking, oh, but you don't know my wife. You just don't know how she is. You don't know how she acts. No, I might not know everything about your wife, but I know this. Jesus died for us on the cross and none of us deserved it. And we were all filthy and we deserved to spend eternity in hell. And if Jesus loved the church that much, there's no excuse that we have because He says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Jesus loved us when we were ugly and filthy and dirty and He went to the cross and He died for our sins. So there's no excuse we have as husbands not to love our wives. Don't give me nothing and say, well, you don't know what she said or how she acted. Hey, Jesus died on the cross for you and you didn't deserve it. You ought to love her whether you think she deserves it or not. Jump to the next one because the men are getting ready to resign from the church. Honestly, first service when I pulled out that little uh, sheet that we gave the ladies today where you can write down and ask for help and we're telling the husbands and the children 
to uh, stop whatever they're doing and help, I saw two men get ready to leave. They looked at each other, looked at me, shook their head, and did like this, like they're getting ready to get up and go. Look at the next one. One flesh, living in a one flesh reality. See, the Bible told us that in this passage of Scripture. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So when you're married, look at the permanency of marriage that God's talking about. You should never enter into marriage. And if you've entered into marriage with the idea, if it don't work out, we'll just divorce. That's not the mindset that God wants you to have. And if you're here as a young person and you're not being married yet, and maybe you're thinking about it, you don't need to enter into it. The idea, if it don't work out, we'll just divorce. Because God wants you to look as though you have been glued together for life. Now, that doesn't mean there's no room for divorce and there's no room for remarriage because the Bible deals with that in the New Testament. But I'm telling you what God's original plan is. One man, one woman for life. And He says that you are united with her and, it, and you become like glued together. One flesh. I was thinking about that. What would it be like if you were literally glued to another human being for a little while? I mean, honest, if someone super glued you hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder, ears to ears, and you had to walk around 24-7 with the same person glued right there all the time, you know what would happen before long? It'd get a little bit irritating, wouldn't it? Men, don't you dare say men. And that happens in marriage, guys. It happens in, in family relationships. We can irritate each other a lot of the times. But imagine that for a moment. You're glued to a person wherever they go. You have to go. Time to go to the toilet. Guess who's going with them? Can you hand me that roll of tissue? Uh, by the, I can't quite reach there. Can you, can you help me out a little bit? I mean, think about all the kinds of issues that you'd have. And living in a one flesh union as a husband and wife has issues in with it. So how do you make it through these issues? How do you make it through these types of situations as a husband and wife? You remember, you're supposed to submit to each other out of reverence or fear to Christ. In other words, you just do it. The Bible tells you to do it. You just do it. You work through it. You just do it. You love each other as you should. You're being submissive to each other. You love each other as you should. You just do it. Yeah, you'll irritate each other from time to time, but that doesn't mean it's time to walk away. You just do it. Next slide. Relating through love and respect issues. Because verse 33 said this, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Now ladies, you probably really will not like this, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The word respect in the Greek is the exact same word that's translated reverence in or fear in God. I 
I want you to notice two things here that God, the Creator of all the universe, the God that made you, the God that knows the, the, the real needs that you have in your life. I want you to notice what God put in this verse. The God that knows exactly how He made you ladies, He understands that you need to feel loved. So here God tells us that each one of us must love our wife all of us guys have to love our wife as we love ourselves. Why does God put that there? Because He understands our wives have a very important felt need to be loved. That's true of you ladies, isn't it? You want to feel loved. You want to feel valued. That's the way God made you, and that's why God tells us to love you. But I want you to notice the other part of it. And the wife must respect her husband. Ladies, just as much as you have a God-built-in hole for where you need to be loved, the men have a God-built-in hole in their lives to where they need to be respected. We're different. God made us that way. God even tells us here, love your wife. And He tells the wife, you need to respect your husband. Because he's got that need in his life to be respected. So ladies, can I give you a tip? If you want to be building a relationship with your husband, it's not going to help if you go out disrespecting him. Especially if you disrespect him by talking about him behind his back to your friends and family members. Or if you're out in public and you start fronting him down and making him look stupid in front of other people, if you disrespect him, it will do great harm to your relationship. Just as much as you need to feel loved, the husband needs to feel respected. How in the world can we do this? How can we love as we should? How can we respect as we should? He tells us we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to have our lives crammed full of God's Word. He tells us out of fear or reverence to Christ, we just do it. We submit to each other and we just do it. Next one. Children obeying and honoring parents. Your children get a little bit of a pass on this because most of our youngest children are in classes right now being taught at their age level. But the Bible says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for it is right. The word obey means to hear under. In other words, you hear and you put yourself underneath what is said. It means you are hearing and you are heeding what is said. Now parents, I know this never happens at your home, but have you ever said something to your kids and you're waiting for a response and the, and the response doesn't come and you're sitting there thinking, did you hear me? <laughs> and man, it's getting worse. I'm telling you, you, know, you used to think it was bad. Now, I don't have mine with me, but now... Honestly, I think sometimes some of mine don't know I'm in the world because they've got this thing going on. Texting their friends. So if you want to communicate with your kid anymore, you have to get a phone that has text on it and text your kid. I mean, almost that's where our culture's going. The Bible tells us here that children need to obey the parents. They need to hear under. In other words... You need to hear what the parent says and actually do what the parent says. Radical concept. The reason you ought to do it 
It says because it's right. It's the right thing to do. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's even holy to God. It's an equitable thing to do. God considers it a holy thing when you obey your parents in the Lord. And then he goes on and says, Honor your father and mother. The word honor means to value, prize, or revere. Here's why you need to do it. It is the first commandment out of the Ten Commandments that has a promise attached to it. And the promise attached to it is this. Your life will go better. And you can live longer on the earth if you'll listen to your parents and honor them. I'm going to do a memorial service tomorrow probably to a great extent because somebody didn't do that. The person could still be alive. Next slide. Fathers, and before you read it wrong and think it says discipline, although I do believe in that, guys, I believe the Bible teaches you're to discipline your kids. How many of you ever had your father or mother send you out to get the switch they're going to whip you with? Now, see, we're not all that strange. A lot of you experienced that. How many of you ever went out and got a little old wimpy switch and then they go out and break a big switch because you brought back a little wimpy switch? And I do believe we ought to discipline, but, but here's the thing, if we'll disciple them, we won't need to discipline them as much as we would if we don't disciple them. Fathers, disciple your children instead of discouraging them. The Bible says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. The word exasperate means to anger alongside of. In other words, all you do is make them angry. You ever been guilty of that? I have. You ever been guilty of just making the child angry so much so that the child doesn't even want to be around you because of the way you've responded to something? I, I'm, I'm being transparent, guys. I have done that. Have you? And what we need to do is find a way to disciple them instead to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And if we would do that, and if they would listen to what they are taught from the Word of God, there'd be less times that we'd be making them angry or enraged at us because of the way we respond. Mine are grown. I wish I'd done a better job of that. All the things that we've just talked about. There are just some family issues that I've tried to pull out here on Mother's Day. All of those things are impossible for us to really do the way we ought to do them without the help of the Holy Spirit of God. Look, look at the next slide. In all these things, no, I'm sorry, I didn't know you'd switched on me. In all these things, we're helpless and powerless to do them without the Holy Spirit of God helping us. I'm afraid we tend to do this sometimes. We'll read the Bible and we'll think, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I can do that. I can handle that. And, and, we, and that's the way we kind of read the Bible. Here's the deal. We can do any of it as the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. You can't do it in your flesh. You can't be the husband you ought to be in your flesh. You can't be the wife you ought to be in your flesh. You're not going to be able to be submissive as a wife and just do it in your flesh and it work out. But you can do it if the Holy Spirit helps you do it. Men, how in the world can we love our wives like Christ loved the church unless the Holy Spirit helps us to do it? How can we work through 
one flesh issues unless the Holy Spirit helps us? How can we love and respect as we should unless the Holy Spirit helps us to do it? How can we train our children as we should without the help of the Holy Spirit? Dads, how can we keep from exasperating, from angering our kids? And how can we disciple them as we should unless the Holy Spirit helps us to do it? I'm just telling you the first question was this. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with your family? Everything, if you're a Christian. Everything. Question number two. And we're just going to walk through these fruits of the Spirit real quick and go to the invitations. And ask you to be writing some notes on that card and hopefully you'll take them to those crosses and pray over them. But what fruits of the Spirit need to be more active in my family today? I want you to ask yourself that and make some notes as we walk through these. The Bible says, and will you notice something as I read these fruits of the Spirit? It's Mother's Day, you know? All of these things are the kind of things that real good mothers want for their family. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Mother wants love in that home for the family. Joy. She wants joy there. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what a good mom wants. So as you evaluate right now, what of these fruits of the Spirit need to be more active in a bigger way in your family, just write them down as I walk through them. Here's the first one. Do you need more love in your family? More love in your family. Now, the Greek language has more than one word that's used to translate love. The eros love is the erotic love or the intimate love. Uh, that's not the word that's used here. I want to tell all you guys that before you shoot your hand up in there and say, yep, need more love in the home. There's another one that talks about brotherly love. This word is the agape love, the God kind of love, the Jesus kind of love. In other words, it's a love that we have for our family and inside of our family, even when they don't deserve it. Because we don't deserve God's love and He loved us anyway. So we need that kind of love big in our families because we're going to let each other down. We're going to disappoint each other. Sometimes you as a husband or a wife or a kid will not deserve love because of what's happened in your life, choices that you've made. But we as Christians in the home need to love them anyway. Second one is this. Do you need more joy in your family? More joy in your family. That doesn't mean happiness. This is speaking of a joy that you have because you know that God's in control. Because you know you have faith in Jesus Christ. It is talking about when you are facing all kinds of turmoil and problems in your life, you can still have joy in your life and in your home. And we need to teach that to our kids because here's the truth. Life is not always happy. And if we raise our kids making them believe you'll always be happy and you can always buy and own everything you want and just by going shopping and buying all this stuff, you can make yourself happy. What's going to happen in their lives when they hit a wall and they realize they're not always happy and life's not always good to them? That's why we need to teach them from a Christian viewpoint that they can have joy even when they're unhappy because of the relationship with God. Look at the next one. You need more peace in your family. The word peace means literally to be joined together with. In other words, you and I can have peace because we know through Christ we've been joined back together with God. Yeah, we're sinners. We don't deserve to be joined together with Him. But we can be joined back together with God because we believed in Jesus. We were at war with Him. Now we're at peace with Him. 
But I want you to apply that to your family just for a moment. Do you need more of that kind of peace in your family? Because all of us from time to time will have issues and problems happen to where it's like wars happening in the family. We need to find ways to be brought back together again. To be made at one again with your kids, with your spouse, whatever it is. Do you need more peace in your home? Look at the next one. Do you need more patience? Now I know this is a stupid question. I know that none of us need more patience in our home because after all, we've got love in our home and joy in our home and peace in our home. So none of us need more patience. Yeah, you ought to give me a blank stare, shouldn't you? The word patience actually means long-suffering. It's a word in the Greek that, that refers to someone just, you know, all of a sudden fire, Godzilla's walking through the house, you know? Kids, can your mom turn to Godzilla? Don't answer that right now. It's Mother's Day. It means avoiding doing that. To have more patience to be long-suffering with people. Do you need that more in your family? Look at the next one. Do you need more kindness in your family? That's you being kind even when someone else is being unkind. That's you being kind to someone even when they've treated you like dirt. Do you need that more in your family? What about more goodness in your family? Do you need more goodness in your home? Just people doing what's right. People being good. Treating each other the way they should. Doing good actions. Good behavior. Taking place in the home. Do you need more faithfulness in your family? I shared with you last week as we talked about this in an individual way. Because Christ is faithful, because God is faithful, you and I as Christians should be faithful, we should be dependable. Do you need more faithfulness? You need, you need people in your family being more dependable. That you know you can rely upon them. Do you need more of this? Do you need more gentleness in the home? Learning to treat each other like you value them. To have that type of gentleness. Do you need more of self-control in your family? More self-control. See, a lot of times we... I, I think this is a big one, guys. I'm going to camp out just a minute on it. We're going to have the invitation. A lot of times we just think, well, the devil made me do it. I was tempted. I didn't have any choice. I couldn't help it. I was talking with a young man Friday in his 20s who had received Christ as his Savior when he was in a bad way. And it seemed like it clicked for him for a while. And it seemed like he was doing fairly good. And then all of a sudden he starts hanging out with the wrong crowd again. And all of a sudden he starts doing things that he shouldn't do again. And his life takes a downward spiral. And when I asked him about that, why it happened, why he let it happen, why he walked away from the relationship that he said that he had with Christ, why did he just start going the opposite direction in his life? He said, well, it, it worked for a while and then I was tempted and I couldn't help it. That is a lie from hell. If you're a Christian, the Bible says that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a door of escape. You and I need to learn how to have self-control in our lives and in our homes and in our family. To teach our kids they don't have to give in to temptation. To teach our kids self-control to where they don't just you know, run rampant into temptations, into, into, into things the world wants to offer to them. We need more self-control.
in our families. The next step, that's what we've talked about today. The next step. The next step in your family's life. As the band gets ready to come, and we're going to have this time of decision where we ask you to really evaluate what your next step is, what God wants you to do in your life. Just maybe your next step could be trusting in Jesus. Because if you have never done that, if you have never said yes to Jesus Christ, right now today, your next step needs to be saying yes to Jesus Christ. It needs to be you trusting in Him. The fact that He died on the cross to pay for your sins. Since it's Mother's Day, we probably have you know some guests, and you know I understand I'm a little bit different for a pastor. Uh, I, I, I'm wearing jeans. I'm not wearing a suit. I, guys, I pastored a traditional church for like you know 20 years before I felt led to, to try and help start this church. And there's nothing wrong with traditional church, but we do it different here for a reason. So I want to point out something to you because some of you you might not have heard a thing I said today because all you can see is this tattoo on my arm. This tattoo has a word of, on here on the bottom of the cross. It's a Greek word, tetelestai. That is the exact word that Jesus screamed out on the cross when He said, it is finished. In other words, Jesus did everything that needs to be done in order for you to have everlasting life. And if you have never trusted in that today, that's your next step. Today, maybe your next step needs to be as a parent or a child or a spouse, whatever the role is, that you have a lost family member and your next step needs to be for you to get on your face as a band plays somewhere up here and pray for that lost family member and agree with God today that you're going to do everything within your power to lead that person to Jesus. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step just involves writing down some of the fruits of the Spirit that you say need to be bigger in my family. All we ask you to do right now is listen to God and take the next step He wants you to take. Let's pray. You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.